Welcome to Telegeography Explains the Internet, the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and today my guest is Pascal Menezes, CTO at MEF. Pascal joined me on the podcast about a year and a half ago when the show was much more laser beam focused on corporate networking. So this was in part an update on the progress MEF has made with their WAN-oriented initiatives around things like SD-WAN and SASE. We hit a lot more than that in this round, though, covering most of what MEF is working through with their members. So we talked about MEF's progress and carrier adoption of lifecycle service orchestration, Sonata and Cantata APIs, um, the status of their work on APIs and, and a little bit on how they operate with that, and how that leads to enterprise network automation as well. So it was a great capstone uh, for our last episode with Orkest that came at a lot of these same issues, but from the carrier perspective, Pascal is able to offer us the perspective of the MEF as an organization working across many different types of their members and how to actually put all of this together into services that can really help carriers do their business. So Pascal is an enthusiastic and knowledgeable guest who has a deep background in networking, so I won't delay us any further. On to the interview. All right. Uh, welcome back to the show, Pascal. Uh, last time you were here, we, we had a different name, but um, really same idea, and it's great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you, Greg. I really appreciate having Matt and myself back. Uh, I know it's a great show you put on and very excited. Yeah, absolutely. So it has been a while. I, I just looked this up. It was July uh, 2021 when you were on, and we've certainly gotten uh, more and different listeners since then. So I wonder if you could just kind of give everybody a, a brief background on yourself and uh, Math once again, so that we, we can all start out on the same page. Yeah, so MEF started in 2001, really mm -hmm. transforming the LAN Ethernet into the carry Ethernet uh, world, which is now an 8 billion market. So think of LAN Ethernet going across the wide area networks, interconnecting all the carriers worldwide, and that's an 80 billion plus market and continues to grow. That technology is well established. And now MEF has, I came in 60 years ago as a CTO, and basically we have moved MEF to automating, you know, everything's about automating the cloud-like, so all automations, and going up the stack beyond, you know, transports of Ethernet, so on. Mm -hmm. So SD-WAN, as you know, SASE, Zero Trust, uh, Edge Computing, Slicing, all of those are service definitions that were taken on, and um, and then automation cuts through all of that, so... And yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a great setup because that's what, what I want to hit first here is to kind of bring us up. Um, as it happens, my last episode was with uh, Jeremy Villayobos, um, uh, who I met at a MEF event and sort of gave the carrier perspective, especially from the Latin American region on why automation was so important. Um, but now we're going to get deeper into uh, what MEF is doing and what that means from a sort of standards and um, and technical standpoint. So I wonder if you could kind of just start with um, introducing us to LSO, what LSO means and what it does uh, for the carrier, uh, the carrier community. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Um, so look, Lifecycle Service Orchestrator means LSO. 
mm-hmm. is the whole idea that automation has to have this service orchestration model that basically allows an operator to not only when services are being deployed from a customer demanding it or going into a portal or an API and asking for it and, and buying it and so on, it has to then be realized through machines, not people, to configure it, provision it, test it, and so on. And that's within a provider's network. But what we found was that providers have a great network and they have a great footprint of, you know, certain loops in their their regions. But a lot of times the customers are not thinking about just in their region, they're multinationals or large enterprises. And they basically say, you know, I want, I want to get, I want you, Mr. Service Provider, represent all my places across the planet. And so now we get in the problem, how do we automate those transactions between providers? You know, so provider that was selling to, let's say, a customer has to now go to a whole set of wholesale partners across the planet and figure out who's got the connectivity for the certain site. You know, right. Uh, It's something we talk about on the show a lot that if you're a multinational, there's almost no chance that you can actually get network from one single provider, it's it's I've I've never seen it. Right? It's a um, even if you're not a multinational, even if you're say a U.S. domestic company, uh, you know the 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 tail at a lot of your sites, even if you're in major cities, is going to be owned by a different provider. So you're talking about breaking through that barrier to get uh, all that service provisioned across an, an entire network end to end. That's correct. And so the idea is there will be the customer will have some retail relationship to one provider. Mm-hmm. And he's the one-stop shop, he or she, uh, well, company. And they then represents how to plug into the whole back ecosystem across the planet to realize those connections without, you know, actually having make the customer or the enterprise do all that. Right. So that's really the value. And so all that has been done in paper and, you know, all kinds of ways. And now we have a, an automation way. Used to, I mean, there's proprietary APIs, but no, if you do provide the APIs, then you have to build a new API for everybody you're trying to connect to in the ecosystem. But we've come up with a standards API that's highly interoperable, highly mm-hmm. uh, high fidelity, high interoperability, and high extensible. And right. um, it's called the Sonata Interlude APIs, and it's designed for the ecosystem. And it's, it's really powerful and we get tremendous adoption. And it allows the retail operator to go and query all of their partners on the backside, their wholesale, and say, hey, for this service, uh, you know, I'm looking for Ethernet or Internet or, you know, certain types of it could be edge computer, it could be power and space. Um, and then basically the wholesale ecosystem comes back and says, yeah, I have it. Here's the price. And then if they want to buy it, then they order it and then it updates all the inventory. And then mm-hmm. from there, it's all about source provisioning it and then testing it and then operating it to make sure it's performing right. And then if there's a fault, you know, there's a fault and it manages the fault and then. Uh, if there's a fault, it goes to a trouble ticketing process that's all automated. Um, and then from trouble ticketing, they finally do invoice and settlement. Um, so so it's a full life cycle right. uh, of how the workflow should happen from all commercial aspects to operational aspects. And, and automating that essentially so that it can flow seamlessly rather than being interrupted by lots of humans doing something with a spreadsheet or, or, or worse, a fax or something, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're spot on, Greg. Um, it, it's really meant that the customer interacts with a portal or a machine that 
represents the customer's requirements interacting with the service provider, with APIs. Mm -hmm. And they're describing what they want, just like the cloud. They want, here's what they want as services. Right. So we've all become used to that in in cloud services where you can spin up a server, spin up an application, whatever, through a portal, pay for it, uh, you know, through that portal, maybe even for only a specified period of time instead of a multi-year contract. It's bringing that to networks, essentially. Yeah, that's exactly right. So when they do all of that, it has to hit their own service providers, retail systems, and they might find things that they can't do and they have to rely on partners. Mm-hmm. And so now how do they do that? In the past, if they have fully automated their own networks, that's fine. But if there's a dependency on a partner ecosystem, then they become the slowest link in, right. in, the, in the food chain. Right. And so if they can, t- if they take three months, that's the experience of the enterprise user, mm-hmm. the enterprise administrator is like, you know, oh my God, like certain sites came up right away and some are taking three, six to nine months. Like that's not a good experience on a cloud-like experience. <laughs> so, yeah. So the automation APIs are to try to move that so it's all machines involved, end to end. And so literally, you can turn up any parts of the geography at like almost near time speed. So, right. And I, I Pascal, I have to ask because we were talking before uh, the show started. Um, uh, for for those who catch a a little snippet of this on video, we re- the main show on audio, but we do little snippets on video. We're both surrounded by guitars. We're both uh, tech guys by day and, and uh, musicians by night, right? So did you have a hand in uh, in naming all of this? You have uh, LSO Sonata, LSO Cantata, right? That's, it's a very musical theme. Can you can you take us through the analogy and, and why that works so well? Um, actually, I had nothing to do with it. Really? I came, in, I came in, it was already done. So there was a framework architectural document that was put together well before I came in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they pick musical terms, but it, it came sonata, interlude, they're all musical terms. And right. I was like shocked. I said, okay, cool. I don't think many people knew I was a musician, but yeah, yeah. It, just, it was just serendipitous. But it, it works in, in the theme of getting everyone to play in the same key, right? To to, yeah. to be able to to end the, the orchestration concept of, of, you know, making sure everyone is in tune. Everyone is on the same beat, all that kind of thing, right? Uh, just um, doing that through through automation. Yeah, I think orchestration. They think about an orchestrator, you know, in a, in a mm-hmm. band. So I think right. they they use they use that analogy. But uh, yeah, it's worked out really well. That that framework's been in place seven years and is still mm-hmm. being used all the time. Excellent. So when, like I said, I had um, Jeremy, who's who represents a a MEF member from a carrier. That's that's how. You guys operate as that uh, carriers and vendors um, for these various services become members, contribute to this, work together, collaborate so that they can work with each other more fluidly. Pascal, I'm sure you do this a lot. So, so how how do you argue to the carrier community um, that they should be a MEF member, and and what uh, what do they get out of participating in in your quarterly meetings and and as a as a member of the organization? So it's really simple. The world has changed a lot. It used to be that the telecom providers kind of owned the accounts, gave the experience, and it was site to site and site to data centers and the applications in the data centers Mm -hmm. and some peer to peer applications. But the world has completely changed radically where, you know, it's all about cloud technologies and the destinations clouds and the clouds are very sophisticated clouds doing all kinds of SaaS, IAS, PaaS services, and now moving into digital transformation kind of services, AI, ML, AI ML, 
mm-hmm. you know, and IoT analytics. And so it just goes on and on. Um, so, so really important what we've done in MEF is we've just realized that this shift has caused, you know, a very different change in mindset. And mm-hmm. what, what, we, we, what we realize is that if that's the game, that's where it's moving to and everything's a cloud, then, then we have to really bring in the right services and automation to get us to the clouds, you know? Right. And so it's connecting, it's not connecting site to site, site to data center anymore. I mean, of course, that's part of a hybrid model, mm-hmm. but it, clouds have to be part of that connection. Right. So I don't, I'm not sure if I answered your question, so. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, in, in terms of like what you would actually say, but that's a sort of like if, if a carrier is saying, well, why, why do I need to work on these kinds of standards? What's, what's in it for me, essentially, right? Well, well, the thing is, if they don't, they don't get involved in this standardized effort, standardization effort, they're going to be mm-hmm. left behind. Because right. what's going on is the hyperscalers, look, the hyperscalers are expanding out with their edge compute, right? right? Right. And so there'll be in every city, you know, and so the, you know, will they get to every building? They could because they could, you know, look at outposts. It goes to the building of that customers with Amazon's outpost or AWS. So mm-hmm. look, look, the bottom line is as closer as that cloud comes to the customer or the nearest point of that city or region or lo- you know locality. Um, the bottom line is, is that there's only one hop to that cloud now. So and that could be just a right. local Internet loop. Right, so then, right. if, so I basically tell the story to all the vendors that sell to the telecom providers. I basically tell the story to all the service providers in the world. I say, all you become, all you, all that's going to happen is you're going to be a bit pipe to the cloud guys mm-hmm. if you don't get involved and create more value in this ecosystem. And not that like the cloud guys don't want you to create. They all, every hyperscaler wants the telecom industry to be part of that journey. Because right. they need them. They need them as a channel. They need them because they can't scale. There's so too many enterprises, SMBs. They, and you know what telecom providers do, especially ILEX in that region, they have a lot of trust with their customers. They've been doing it for telephony and data and voice, and they know their customers well. Um, they can scale. They have got tremendous scale capabilities. They, can, they, you know, they might not move as fast, but that's okay. But they're you know, getting moving faster with automation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, hyperscalers need them for their channels and the hyperscalers I think will give part of that part of that value to say hey you know you provide the telecom you provide the connectivity you provide that overly SD-WAN for intelligence you know and maybe you provide that cloud security sassy you know and uh, we'll take on the rest because the rest Mm -hmm. is like really complicated applications you know Mm -hmm. so that's how I say it yeah, no, absolutely. That makes sense. And and I mean, certainly you raise a point that has been on the minds of carriers that I've talked to for the last 15 years, right? which is that I don't want to just become a commodity. And so th- this is another step of, of helping through automation, this be a, a service that the end users really need rather than just a, a dumb pipe, as it were, to a hyperscaler, right? So um what what has been the attraction to date? So you know, so how well is is this being adopted by the the carrier industry, and um, and and sort of how far along are you in in creating um, these standards and uh, and and you know APIs and whatnot? Oh, we've got tremendous adoption and it keeps growing rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
we have about 105 that we've you know talked to providers first first of all we, we our membership is 130 service providers mm-hmm. and and the rest we have in vendors and integrators and so we have 200 plus members um and then from the providers we've talked to you know 105 of them you know there's probably about 84 i don't have the number in front of me but 84 that are in some shape or form in either deployment uh, ready to deploy mm-hmm. testing planning business cases or still evaluating now mm-hmm. i would say i i know we think i got I, don't quote me i think it's like 20 plus that's in production and it, it grows continuously and everybody's seeing the value that now the most important value is everybody plug in federate you know syndicate federate plug in and you basically it's like what kubernetes and clusters uh, kubernetes and containers did you know you build once and you deploy everywhere right right Right. You don't have to rebuild it at all your pops all around the world. It's once it's out of the lab, you can deploy it uh, across your entire network. So. Yeah. And with ours is that you can do this for Ethernet. You can do the full lifecycle automation for Ethernet. You can do it for Internet. You can do it for pizzas if you wanted to. If you're selling <laughs> pizzas. Uh, it doesn't matter. But the, the point is it's fully automated. And, right. and, and that's the point you want to get to is that all of this is machine to machine automated. It gives you that cloud-like experience from the time the customer interacts with your portal or machine, and it goes all the way across not only the provider's network, but all the ecosystems. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a very powerful, powerful uh, value, and everybody's realizing that's where the market has to go. Uh, again, I think the, the fact is if providers don't come together and look like one big, gigantic network, which they've already done it with the Ethernet, carry Ethernet right. on the, in the night plane, they've connected, you know, at you know, 10 gigabits, you know, 400 gigabits, you know, mm-hmm. 40 gigabits. They're all being connecting together at very large capacities, but that's not that's not being automated. Mm-hmm. So now, how can they automate all of their interconnections that's in place? That makes a huge global network all the way to the loops, even last long, and then connect it in a way that it's one big federated network that looks like one big like like the internet did, you right. know, for the consumers. The businesses can say, oh, I don't really care what destination is. I can get it anytime. I mean, the ideal world is because it's fully automated end-to-end within all the carriers and they're already connected to the data plane level. So that mm-hmm. that is the essence of what we're trying to do. And we're getting very much success because everybody's getting it. So that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting way to put it. And I've never, I, I, I've heard a lot about this, right? But I've never heard it quite that way that in a sense, this is like, like building internet protocol for private networks in, in that sense that you can, you can get to any destination across private networks the way you can get any destination across the public internet. Yeah. Think, think about, about the destinations are business kind of oriented. Right. Right. Flows. Like, um, well, hyperscalers and then. Yeah. You know, hyperscalers. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I mean so, look what's going on right now. So you just say people are using the internet and they go, I can go any hyperscale through the internet, but that's not, that's not what people do. They do that for right. For, for things that, that don't matter in applications for, for cloud-like applications. Not, not enterprise-grade services yeah, that, that need yeah. security and privacy and all that. Yeah. Stuff. So what's happened in the enterprise grade is you've seen these middle mile or these interconnect players come in, right? Mm-hmm. What do they do? They say, oh, I'll bring, you know, I will bring you on to my on-ramp close as possible to you, right? And then from there, I have a huge backbone then that connects to all the clouds, you know, all the multi-clouds. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, now the middle, like we call them the middle mile player or these interconnect providers, I won't name them, are creating, sure. say, oh, are saying, well, you take the interop just one hop, and then you come into my high-speed backbone that's really high quality, I'll get you all cloud. So you won't, you'll have a great experience in the clouds, right? Mm-hmm. Versus the internet all the way to the cloud. You know, right. 
Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is what I mean describing is that not only do you want to think about it as a middle mile player, but now as you get onto the middle mile or the first hop, you want to create a bump in the wire services like cybersecurity, you know, like hope, you know, um, like like maybe you put edge compute in there too, you know, mm-hmm. so so you can do certain things. So it there's some opportunity to go beyond bandwidth, is what I'm saying. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Not just not just bandwidth on demand, but the sort of, you know, I mean, we end up talking about this on the show a lot, but but uh, in this show, the, the the word is too capacious, but network as a service, right? So, um, yeah. Uh, on that note, um, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about enterprise automation. So your members are, are from the carrier community, and I should say, you know, 130 members. Uh, well, the 105 carriers. You said 85 of them in some stage of deployment. That's a that's a really big chunk of the the larger multinational. Uh, obviously, there's thousands of of small uh, you know service providers when you include ILEX that that have a reach of maybe a few tier three cities or whatever. But uh, you know, certainly 85 uh, you know carriers is is a big chunk of the international sort of um, you know business center kind of. Uh, reach there. Um, but they are all doing this for the purpose of serving mostly enterprise customers, right? So um, what does this look like? What does automation of all of this uh, do for the the IT infrastructure team who's not in the telecom business, but just a consumer of network? Yeah. So are you asking what's the role in automation in enterprise? Yeah. Like what, what, um, so, so to put it more succinctly, maybe, um, what is the end goal of the, this automation on the carrier end in terms of a, a product or a service, um, that, that gets used by the, the enterprise IT infrastructure team? Yeah. So what's going on is the idea is that how can the enterprise, um, program the, the network? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah, and so so really, you have to think of enterprise is not IT administrators; they're developers. So in their right. code, they write code, especially in Kubernetes, right? And they write microservices code in a Kubernetes deployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what they can do is write, you know, little programming codes that basically influences the network and calls right. back to the network and says, you know, I need this quality of service or this slice. And, and basically, of course, they have to have pre-provision from business level for the contract side. But mm-hmm. then they can now, you know, in their code, describe the treatment they want of that service, of that pa- of their of their application on the network. I'll give right. you a simple example. It's a very mm-hmm. powerful idea, though. And so you're seeing slicing come up, you know, SD-WAN. Uh, can it influence any of those policy decisions? Because now it's now you have, today you have to have some administrator set up the whole policy and how they want, you know, what application to get, what performance, but it, it's all preset by some person, an administrator. What you want right. is a developer to basically just, if the network's programmable, right, then the developer can, with rights and, and commercial agreements, can go pick what his experience has to be with the application because he's the one who knows the best what he right. wants. And then the network tries to, you know, tries to live up to that and tries to do its best to, optimize itself to always make sure that happens. That's mm-hmm. that's really what we're seeing with self-optimization networks and and closed up automation is basically is it's it's this idea that it's programmed in. And this is where the world is going. 5G is all about that. It's how can we get right. a, how can we make the 5G super programmable to anybody's needs? 
you know, and so and so slicing has been a big, huge role. We're seeing edge compute. Uh, there, there are many areas of this that we're seeing that I think with 5G and, and you, I mean, you can do it wired too, but it, it basically allows the network to be programmable. That's that's the mm-hmm. takeaway. Now, that's really interesting because, I mean, certainly from, from the enterprise perspective for a long time, it's been the case that there's, you know, in, in the traditional MPLS or even, you know, before that frame relay ATM, uh, private lines, there's been, there's a network and your applications run over that and everything that your carrier can provide for you, like SLA wise, is attached to just the network and the applications are just a layer above that. In a way, it seems to me that we're getting to that point where they've really been looking for of like, I can have uh, an, a, a slice of the network, if you will, that's designed for my application and then the SLAs uh, are really sort of tied more to my particular application than just a a network that I have a bunch of applications on. It's all very application specific. Is that is that a is that a realistic sort of uh, end game of all of what you're working on? Yeah, and I'm sure there's many more use cases than just performance. But yeah, of course. Yeah. And you think even like if if we get SASE and cloud security and as mm-hmm. part of that, could they des- de- define what kind of security postures they want? You know. Um, that's right. all possible too. I mean, the programming the network doesn't have to be about performance mm-hmm. it, because we're seeing now, you know, network as a service, which we probably should talk about, is really now the combination of as a service utility, um, whether it be subscription based in a pay as you go or, or monthly mm-hmm. kind of um, bill. Um, the whole idea of network service is bringing together networks and security together mm-hmm. with multi cloud. Right. And hybrid cloud, multi-hybrid edge cloud. And all of that comes together in a nice package, all automated together, working together in a nice big ecosystem. And that's, yeah, that's, where, that's a great that's, point. Absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, that's what I'm actually going into now. We'll, we'll be launching right. actually. So. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's definitely talk more about that because, uh, you know, as a network as a service certainly comes up all the time. And and one of the obvious uh, focus uh, on that is what, exactly what you mentioned, like a different in the way we do network contracting. For example, there's that, that, that sort of business side that I can, I can get network on an hourly basis a, instead of a, a five-year you know, major contract that I undergo with a, a big RFP process. But also bringing the security side of the IT infrastructure um, a house into the, the network's uh, team, right, and and unifying that. So um, I think a, a few years ago, MEF sort of recognized that that needed to be a part of this whole equation. Um, uh, what have you guys worked on with um, those overlay services? So we could probably start with SD-WAN and and then add uh, SASE on top of that. But um, what, what are what are the the MEF uh, standards um, around SD WAN, and how has that evolved into SASE? So, uh, okay, so we we've released two versions of SD WAN. We're on mm-hmm. a third version of SD WAN. Um, that was a service definition, and now we're actually doing an interop for SD WAN. So you can have different vendors plugging into different SD WAN's equipment, and they actually have interop, which has never been done. Um, mm-hmm. That's a plane control plane management plane. So that's called our universal SD-WAN work. Uh, then from there, we just we just released our first standardization of SASE. Um, mm-hmm. So that just got released uh, two weeks ago in, in Miami. The board approved it. It was two years in the making. And we all just released the first Zero Trust framework that really describes how Zero Trust works 
um, and can be applied to any service, including. I was going to say th those are those are particular services that cry out for service definitions, right? Because it it is it you know there, there has been a, a fair bit of uh, you know what you might call sassy washing or whatever over the last couple yeah. of years since since uh, that that standard kind of emerged as as the the next security posture that you, that enterprise needed to think about. But you guys have worked on sort of laying out clearly what exactly sassy is. Can can you give us a little bit of that definition? Uh, I think that, that that's something that I always want to hear how how uh, that has coalesced. Yeah, I think for us, you know, one of the biggest problems in the industry, we did this with Kerry Ethan, we did this with SD Wen, is the terminology, the vocabulary, mm -hmm. the construct. If everybody can understand what you're talking about, then at least you get into some common language, right? Right. And so we did that. That's part of the bulk of what Sassy version one is talks about you know, a sassy uni and a, a connection point and actors and, and all that kind of stuff. So we all get the same page of like these constructs and how they come together in a framework and all that. So mm -hmm. that to me is the fundamentally the basis of what people want to understand first. Right. Then it, it describes some policies, you know, um, mm -hmm. but the policies are, you know, this is version one. So, you know, it doesn't cover everything. And it just sure. describes security functions, but the security functions are taken off as more atomic functions that, you know, like a firewall is built out of, you know, a bunch of atomic functions. So they describe mm -hmm. the atomic function. Then mm -hmm. what I'm trying to do is get them to describe now how these atomic functions build as a next-gen firewall or, or CASB. So I that's, see. so version two is already being worked on now. We just released mm -hmm. version one. And um, we're bringing a lot of the members that, you know, on our board and our tab, a technology advisory board who are, who will run the businesses to bring their teams into the version two one, because in version mm -hmm. one, some of them were participating. So now right. we want to get everybody in the boat on the board, everybody in the boat on the tab, our technology advisory board, get their teams involved in version two. So we really hit this one really with, you know, the punch it needs because, mm -hmm. you know, version ones are always, you know, just the minimal viable, get something out and right. it's the first time. So it's hard. To, yeah. But I think version two is where it really hits. So, see, we saw that SD WAN. We came mm -hmm. up with 70 and 70 is pretty good. 70.1 is awesome. Right. 70.2 right. that's going to click on next can be more awesome. So. And, the, and there was very much the same problem with SD-WAN uh, where, you know, if we went back to, what is it, 2017 or so, um, everyone had something that they called SD-WAN, what it actually did in terms of, uh, you know, services that you could buy were very different for a long time. And it seems to me that that you guys have very much succeeded there, that the industry has very much coalesced on, you know, this is what the sine qua non of, a, of an SD-WAN service really is. Uh, how, how, do you think you've seen that success with that, basically? Uh, we're seeing it. And I think Sassy is the one that pulls it all together because people are very confused right. about Sassy. And well, and that uh, Sassy and SUN, in my view, and, and I'd like to hear yours, are, are inextricably linked, really. Um, uh, do, yeah. do you share that view? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, SSE, Secure Service mm -hmm. Edge, um, and SD-WAN together are Sassy. So, right. so SSE and SD-WAN, the com combination is Sassy. So. So absolutely. So, so what we're doing now is we're also delivering certification. We're doing certification on SD-WAN, but now we're also mm -hmm. going to do certification on SASE and Zero Trust. Now, let's face it. You can't do a one-time certification say you're secure. That right, doesn't work. Right. So we're now going into a continuous certification model. And this is really tough to figure this out because mm -hmm. everybody agrees that it's the right thing to do, but it's always about the cost because mm -hmm. it's a cost. Because if... If at any time you can, you know, you, if SASE is a cloud deployment of security, 
at the cloud. And so if it's right. cloud by nature, it's going to rev, you know, its services and bits and features every two weeks to a month. So every time you're rubbing, changing, you need to test and certify. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's an expensive process. And so we're trying right. to figure out how do we do that in an economical way? our members. Yeah, very different than say SD-WAN, where with, with SD-WAN, the, the, the elements of it, networking elements, basically always stay the same. With with security, the, the threat landscape is constantly changing. And so the, exactly. the answer to the threat landscape is constantly changing. That is totally, exactly. And also, we, we also think that that certification is not really being out there, that you want to change certification, not to say, oh, you're conforming to MEF protocols and MEF standards. We want to actually our certification say, oh, well, we're also testing in the face of impairments, awareness impairments. Did it recover right? right? You know, did it in these kind of applications that are really encrypted and try to hide themselves, did it really classify right? Right. Because you, know, mm-hmm. you need to have your heuristics and all kinds of, you know, um, AIML kinds of engines to actually even classify some of these things now. Right. Um, and then the other one is, you know, like on, on SSE, like, did it really protect my threats? You know, did it really, if I throw a million different threats or, you know, evasions or exploits, uh, did it really protect, did it, did it get through or didn't get through, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's a hard thing to do because it's, it's it's a massive database, like I think a million per month are coming in. And you and you, it's only as good as the last time you ran it. And so you either run it every day or you run it every time you're doing a change to your service and then you run it. Mm-hmm. And so we're giving out certification badges on that. It has, you know, the version, the date, what was tested and scorecards and things like that. So we're still working through it. It's, it's very complex, actually. Indeed. Yes, I think I think everybody agrees with that without a doubt, right? So um, the, the end users and the service providers have been trying to figure out um, sort of exactly what all of this means. And, and, you know, I should say all of this is driven by the fact that that the network itself has changed so much over the last few years with cloud adoption with local internet breakouts and all those, you know, different things to, to make this necessary. It's not, it's not like, you know, this is very much, we've had cases in, in, certainly in all kinds of IT before of a solution in search of a problem. I think it's very much the opposite of that, right? So you have, there, there are a lot of real identifiable problems out there that, that we're working on solutions to. Absolutely. Uh, So Pascal, I want to circle back on, on one thing you mentioned kind of in passing about, about your work. Uh, at MEF on SD-WAN, and that's on interoperability. I wonder if you could flesh that out a little more. And and I'll preface it by saying I talk to end users a lot. And I mean, really, in in the top three pain points uh, from a network manager's uh, perspective are mergers and acquisitions, bringing in other companies that had other networks and all of that. Um, does does SD-WAN interoperability help with with that kind of situation where you have to merge um, extant networks together? Yep, that's exactly right. It's the goal was with interop would be um, all the different vendors would agree to a minimal interop, mm-hmm. you know, on the data plane side. So they would use IPsec in the control plane. They use BGP, mm-hmm. you know, in the telemetry plane, they would use um, we've got a spec called 105, which measures performance uh, for SD-WAN. And then for the um, management plane, you know, we worked out, you know, how the different managers from each company would have to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is that you could deploy all these various various vendors and they would all be able to still plug in and talk to each other. Right. 
and right. not be islands of, of each other. And so that's the work. It's been long in the drawing, but we've got lots of stuff done. I think we're on the mm -hmm. manager plane now and we're almost, I think it'll be out by end of next year or so. Excellent. All right. Yeah. I, I know that uh, there's a lot of people hoping for that, right? So I think that's good to hear. Um, and just uh, the last thing, one of the last things I want to touch on Pascal is, is around um, something that we, we, we mentioned before, but in terms of uh, the, that fear that's always been there on the service provider side of, of becoming a commodity, right? Um, we're seeing most of the service providers in the, uh, you know, WAN enterprise kind of space um, have gotten on board with, with this idea that, uh, that, the world is moving toward internet as a connectivity of first resort in many cases. And, and, and that comes with the, the need to, to have an SD WAN service, to have a SASE service, a full stack, um, obviously through partners in, in both of those cases. But, um, uh, for, from your view of working with all of these providers, both, both from those, those vendors, right. The security vendors, SD WAN vendors and the, and the carriers alike, um, how is this going to help the carriers sort of get out of that danger of becoming a commodity like they always fear and, and to generating revenue um, for the carriers that are offering these services to, you know, basically anything from a from an SME to to the largest uh, corporation in the world? Yeah. So they have to be the first stop, first stop and shop mm -hmm. um, for the enterprise. And basically they represent the whole ecosystem in the back as right. a retail provider. And to do that, they have to have new services than just connectivity. So if the internet's the first mile connection, so they provide that okay, or with a partner or whatever, they need right. to make sure it's, you know, got, I mean, internet's getting faster and faster. The loops are getting faster. That's not a problem. Mm -hmm. They hit the nearest edge, which would be, you know, down the block or just, you know, in the city, somewhere in your city. Um, and then once they get there, they get all the services of SD-WAN, they get cybersecurity, they get edge computing for loading in some very low latency digital transformation use cases that developers can mm -hmm. load in. So the IS Mac, um, and then they would also have um, multi-cloud. So there, from there, they can go to all the clouds in very high speed pipes, not use the internet and mm -hmm. go to all kinds of clouds, SaaS clouds, PaaS clouds, IS clouds, hyperscaler clouds, uh, technology vendor clouds. Um, I mean, it's all clouds. Right. You know? So it's a software-defined, you know, cloud interconnect model. And it's basically, you know, they just basically, and so they're the broker to all clouds, including, mm -hmm. you know, private data centers or hybrid private clouds. And so I think what you're seeing is service providers become the broker to go to every destination, internet included, but mainly clouds of all sorts. Right. And they scrub through that to make sure things, that performs right. They script to make sure it's secure. They script, you know, making the application objectives and things like that. So I think that's the value. Mm -hmm. And I think, and then we're describing this now as a secure network as a service that we're going to be taking all our automation, all of our underlay work, all, you know, carry Ethernet and, and, then, and Internet and all that stuff, all of our overlay work, SD-WAN slicing, all of our cybersecurity work, SASE Zero Trust, and now multi-cloud. You know, we've been working on Mac IS. And now adding in, or oh, how do we connect to technology provider clouds, SOC clouds, all the different clouds using the same APIs. Um, right. That is, it's not like we've changed anything technical, but it's all coming together as one big package that mm -hmm. the industry seems to be wanting to move to and buy. So. Yeah, that no, that's really interesting because it it um, 
it seems so anarchic right? when you when you pull back it's like even just the the basic internet there's it's always been a, a network of private networks essentially there's someone who um and, and uh the i think that, that, that i agree with that viewpoint that that the opportunity for the carriers is to sort of bring um organization to this chaos because you know the truth is you know there are certainly um, you know, multinational companies out there outside of the telecom world that, that have very large network teams. I think that's a minority, right? You very often have um, a, a surprisingly small uh, group of people who are working on the IT infrastructure WAN team at, uh, at multinationals that now have to manage this much bigger set of problems, it seems to me. Um, uh, but that comes with this amazing opportunity too with digital transformation and IoT and Mac and, and, and a lot of the things you've been talking about um, for the, the network to be this, you know, important part of, of the business uh, rather than just something that has to be in an abstraction in the background. It's, it's enabling new technologies and, uh, and innovation on the business side. So I think it's a really exciting time. Yeah. And I think one more thing I should add to that is more and more of these service providers are now being tasked by the hyperscalers to provision intra cloud networking, meaning mm. the VPCs, the VNets have to be configured inside the cloud mm. and it's complex. And so right. if a customer says, hey, I've got these regions all over the world and you know, I need to connect to all these places. It's not just connecting to the clouds, it's connect the clouds and then connecting all the VPCs and VNets and putting in you know, the BGP routing policies and the gateways and the security policies right. inside that hyperscalers cloud. Mm -hmm. which someone has to provision it. Normally it would be right. the enterprise, but now the service provider is saying, well, we'll do that for you too. Another right. big opportunity is what we call, I call cloud intranetworking. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I get, I, I say this a lot on the show and, and in my life in general, but it's that, uh, you know, what, what we call the cloud is, is just the piece that we're not talking about right at that very moment, right? It's the, it's the abstraction beyond, um, but, uh, but you're saying that the, the, the opportunity for the carriers extends all the way into uh, that sort of uh, east-west, if you will, with, within the cloud itself, right? Within the cloud, yeah, exactly, because it's very mm -hmm. complex to configure clouds. And right. so there's opportunities for providers to take that expertise and do that. So it's, it's no more just about having copper or fiber anymore. It's what do I put on top of that copper fiber? How much value can I wrap mm -hmm. around it? Um, right. And the value keeps going. We talked about a lot of that value. And the value can go up the stack higher and higher and higher. And mm -hmm. so basically, if you know, a hyperscaler is making you know, a, a dollar, then there's some part of that dollar that can go back to the telecom provider. It, which is not just on bandwidth. It's about all the right, not, not just the 400G uh, bandwidth between yeah. data center A and B, right? But yeah. But all the, all that all the value they add on top of that gives them more margins for the telecom operator. And hyperscalers don't have to deal with all of that operationalizing and, and right. managing all that. Because for scale, you know, you know, tens of millions of customers, they have to have channels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so Pascal, I, I want to wrap us up with um, maybe maybe a big question here, but just how do you see all of this playing out over over the next uh, say three to five years? Right, are are we going to get to this portal world where we can go on and spin something up immediately, or uh, you know ch change our policies and all of that? To, uh, how do you see it materializing in, in terms of a timescale? Yeah, well, I've been six years, so it was okay. it was a lot of work to get to the automation aspects yeah. to even think about how to standardize SD-WAN and SASE. 
I think the in five, six years, we will see digital transformational use cases come in that mm -hmm. will drive networks in a very different way. Um, right. I think, will we see connected vehicles and really on the roads driving by themselves? Probably not yet, but mm -hmm. it's going mm -hmm. lost. But the in industrial side, you know, all the smart manufacturing, the smart cities, um, you know, and the smart warehouses and everything that wants to digitally transform the analog processes, the workflow process to digitally is going to drive requirements, especially IoT uh, right. devices. And I think that is going to put a better demand, a much more different demand than, you know, our business applications mm -hmm. um, to the cloud. And I think that's why edge computing is coming in. 5G will be play a significant role. I think if 5G can deliver a wire-like experience using wireless technology and be flawless, then that's going to play a very significant part, whether it be private Especially private. with slicing. Uh, yes, and with slicing, the, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah with mm -hmm. slicing with it. So, uh, yeah. so whether that be private or public 5G, I don't really care. There's all use cases in that. I, I think, you know, all of that has to be coordinated through automation. Automation is, is, mm -hmm. is the horizontal layer through all of this because you cannot have people. Um, right. I think I think what I think in five to seven years, you are going to see the advent of newer types of digital transformational use cases that drives the network in a different behavior. Like, like smart mm -hmm. classes haven't come in yet, but smart mm -hmm. classes mm -hmm. will absolutely drive networks in a very different behavior than what we used to just, you know, business IT. Right. So I think I think that's the radical change I see. And no one really understands what that looks like. We, we've seen some smart houses. We've seen some smart cities. We're getting a little bit of a, of a, of a people in connected but, cars. But they are always in the same place, for one thing, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and I think, you know, when you look at, you know, the the, the metaverse, you see, you know, Web 3.0 and blockchains and, and you know, decentralized IDs or, um, you know, self-sovereign IDs. These are all things that are still emerging out, as you can see, you know, Facebook's even having challenges trying to mm -hmm. get to understanding. Get, I mean, they're great for all kind of consumer-oriented things, but to get them to, into the business side right. is, is where I think people are trying to figure out. But there are, I've listened to a lot of use cases about some of these commercial aspects of digital transformation. I'm like, wow, like in airports or, you know, you know stadiums and, and go, these are just actually really great use cases. So mm -hmm. I think, I think it was just, I think we're transforming the world to be all digital our workflows and when that happens in the next 10 years the networkers will be very very important and security has to be there and we have to be able to uh be better than the, than the uh, bad guys right, and uh right. and we just bet we just gotta have this thing working flawless because it, you know you got a hiccup things just fall apart so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no that's i think i think that's a great point i i'm I, as an analyst looking forward to to watching that unfold but especially i like the the way that you put it in with some specific examples that we're thinking about you know sort of these wired or wireless connections all over the world all the time but what do they mean for people for businesses for consumers you know that, i think that's where it gets really interesting so that's gonna be fun to watch all right pascal it's been really interesting thank you very much um, before we take off, is is there any way that folks out there can keep up with you and, and what you're doing at MEF? Uh, a couple of ways. You can go to MEF.net, M-E-F.net, and you can look at all our website. Um, I have a podcast, too. Excellent. <laughs> I view it called Executives at the Edge. And all right. We interview executives about all kinds of trends and what's going on there. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I think, you know, Join MEF is probably the other one. Okay. Absolutely. Um, so if you join MAP, you'll see all the work we're doing. We do lots of projects. Uh, we're trying to really solve a lot of these issues. So, you know, in my in my view, leaving this one statement, 
you know, if I look at planes, they fly in the sky, but they are incredibly precise mm. because if they aren't, then they start falling out of the sky. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. 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 Well, it's going to be the day where, you know, digital transformational use cases has to have networks that are incredibly precise. Mm. They have to mm -hmm. have security that's incredibly precise, you know, cybersecurity. Um, they cannot have malware coming in. They, they, everything will be destroyed. So it's like we don't, we, you know, our utilities of water or you know, electricity, I mean, most of our water, at least in North America, is clean. It's free of pathogens. Right. It flows right. I always use the analogy. That's kind of what we want to strive to in networking. So, yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So, everybody listening, check out Executives at the Edge. And um, uh, I hope that uh, we can talk again sometime, Pascal. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so Thanks. much. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com, and we'll see you on the internet.